Amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts 15. As you're turning there, uh, the story that we encounter today here at the end of chapter 15 is, uh, it's really a surprising story if you're following along. Now, for some of you, you haven't been following along. I'm mindful of that. If you're visiting with us today, maybe for the first time, we're really glad that you're here. Welcome. Um, And I want to give you a bit of an on-ramp. And some of you, you were here last week, but you've already forgotten. I'm mindful of that too. These minds don't always work the way we want them to. So let me just give you a little bit of a synopsis of where we've been in the story so that we can see the surprise of of where we are today. Acts chapter 15 is dedicated to uh, what we would call the theological center of the book of Acts, uh, the Jerusalem Council. And this meeting, and you think, well, a meeting is the center? Yeah, no, this meeting was actually wildly important because uh, at the time, you've got a whole bunch of people coming to put their faith in Jesus. You've got people who grew up in Judaism putting their faith in Jesus. But then you have people who grew up in other nations around the world. So non-Jewish people, the Bible calls them Gentiles, they're also putting their trust in Jesus and they're getting saved. And this is fantastic and it's amazing, but it started to get complicated because these people who had grown up in Judaism, they went over and they met these Gentiles and they said, listen, you can't actually be saved unless you first passed through Judaism. Meaning, I know you think you're saved, but you actually, you need to be circumcised, you need to come under the law of Moses, you need to follow this diet, and then once you've passed through Moses, then you can receive Christ, and then you'll be saved. And as you can imagine, the Gentiles were traumatized by this. They're wondering, like, wait, so this isn't real? Because yesterday I heard that I had forgiveness of sins, and now you're saying I, I don't? And so they called this meeting the Jerusalem Council. And in this meeting, what they're determining is wait a second, how do people get saved living as we do in the new covenant? And maybe you're here today and you don't know the answer to that question. How does a person, how do we get saved? How do we come into right relationship with God? What hoops do we need to jump through in order for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be in a right relationship with the God who made us? You know what the Bible says the answer to that question is? Grace through faith in Christ. Repent of your sin, and maybe you've never done this, so let all this be really clear. Confess your sin to God. Just confess it to him. I know that I have not lived the life that I'm supposed to live. I've, I've done wrong things. I know that I didn't even need people to tell me what the wrong things are. I could feel it in my heart as I did them. I've done wrong. I confess my sin. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay for my sin. And it is finished. That's what it, that's what it means to become a Christian. And it, and it seems scandalous, it seems remarkable, because you'd wonder, like, well, wait a second, don't you need to, you need to do some stuff, right? And, and the Bible says, no, that's not how it works. Because he did the stuff. He did all the stuff. He fulfilled the law perfectly, completely. It is finished. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished. It's done. Now, that being said, when we come into Christ and we put our trust in him, he fills us with his spirit. And he changes us slowly from the inside out. So of course we change. Of course we obey. Of course we grow. But the front door of faith is through faith in Christ. And the council met together, and that's what they established. Peter said, but we believe that we, he's talking to the Jewish Christians, that we will be saved, how? Through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they, that is all the Gentiles, people like us, just as they will. Through grace, through faith and grace in Christ, that's, that's how we come in. And this is a very, very big deal. And before they concluded the meeting, 
they said, we, we have to work some things out too because now you've got these Jews and the Gentiles living together. And so they made some rules for how they can be accommodating and courteous to one another and walk together in unity. And at the end of that monumental meeting, the church was united and it looked like a massive win. The Jews are happy, the Gentiles are happy, the whole church is happy. And you're thinking, with the Spirit of God in us and the gospel as our focus, we can walk in perfect unity. It's Yes, it's the best. But then before chapter 15 ends, we have this little paragraph, this little story, where Paul and Barnabas, two guys who were leading the meeting, two guys who were, who were giving a speech at the meeting, two guys who helped the church to overcome this massive cultural barrier, they get into a disagreement, and they're unable to bridge this personal gap, and they have to part ways. And you think, what? Wait, what? Why on earth is this story in here, what felt like a massive win is suddenly feeling a little bit like a, an embarrassing loss. Well, that's a good question. Why is this story in our Bibles? Let's read it, and then we're going to deal with that question, and we're going to draw out some lessons along the way. I hope you have your Bible open. Acts 15, again, the whole thing's about the Jerusalem Council. I'll scroll all the way down, though, to verse 36, and now we're turning the corner. We're going to read to verse 41. Here now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, and he sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas, and he departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, if you're, if you're tracking with the story, this, this hits like a, like a, I don't know, a rock in your shoe. You just think, wait a second. I thought that, you know, with the Spirit, we could have perfect unity, and yet here are these two brothers filled with the Spirit, and they don't seem to have this perfect unity. They've got a disagreement, a disagreement that was, that was so severe that they actually, they weren't able to continue to work together. Why did Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, include this little story in the book of Acts? Because you realize he didn't need to record everything. He, didn't, he obviously didn't record everything. There were plenty of conversations that didn't happen, plenty of episodes that we don't have recorded here because, you know, word count is, is brief, and he, so he's got to pick the stories that matter. And he included this story. Why is that? I would argue it's because Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knew that we needed an example of what it looks like when good Christians disagree. We need, we need to see that this is the reality of our life in this fallen world, and we need to think carefully about how we respond if and when this happens in our own context. So I think that's why this story is here. It teaches us about when good Christians disagree. And now before we go ahead, this is about Christians disagreeing, meaning this doesn't tell us everything that there is to say about disagreement. You know, sometimes you disagree with, with other people. The Apostle Paul, sometimes he disagreed with heretics, and when Paul disagreed with heretics who were leading people away from the true gospel, he handled it differently. You're going to notice that in this story. So, for example, when he was in Galatia, and there were false teachers who were telling people that you can't really get saved unless you, you get circumcised, he said to them, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, which is a very different approach than what we're going to find in this story. 
And if we were preaching on that passage, we would deal with why exactly Paul said that and what, what's animating that, right? Someday we'll, we'll get there and we'll deal with that. But today, that's not what we're talking about. We're going to notice the tone and the approach that he adopts when he's talking to a fellow brother in Christ. So we're going to make our way through. This is a small passage, and it's a, very, um, it's a passage that really lends itself to application. So we're going to just slow down as we work our way through, and we're going to apply this to different areas of our lives as we go. Okay, that's the approach. First, we learn when good Christians disagree, it is because people are diverse and problems are complex. So let's just make sure we, we know why this argument happened. You can see it again in verse 37 to 39. Let's read that again. It says this. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp dis- disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took with him Mark. And that, you know how it goes. So this whole disagreement, it's centered around a young man named John Mark, which, what an interesting legacy, right? John Mark's like, that's who I am when you get to heaven. He's like, I was the one at the center of that argument. But that's, they're talking about what do we do with this young guy? And Barnabas says, hey, I think we should bring him with us. And Paul says, not a chance. And the reason why Paul is saying not a chance is because he brought John Mark with them last time. If you remember in the first missionary journey, we read in Acts 13, verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and listen, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. When we studied through chapter 13, we just, we rushed right by that. It feels like a tiny little footnote, but I'll tell you, for the Apostle Paul, that was not a little footnote. They're getting ready to go to the work. They've got their, this small little team of brothers ready to take on the world. And all of a sudden, John Mark says, ah, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I got my mom, and he, he's gone. And Paul remembers this, right? Now, from what we know about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and his letters, Paul was a go-getter, right? Paul was the, like, work until you drop guy. Paul was the guy who got stoned to death, but then they scraped him off the ground, and he said, let's go back into the city and do this, right? That's who Paul is. Maybe you know some Pauls in your life. This is the kind of guy who does not take kindly to quitters, right? He's got no category for quitters. He's like, how could you, po- how could you possibly throw in the towel when there's so much at stake? That's, that's who Paul is. And on top of that, he's, he's fresh on his mind. He knows how difficult this journey is going to be. So when Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John Mark, Paul's, Paul's like, man, I got stoned to death. Do you remember that? Like, I was left, you had to, like, carry me back into the city like a backpack. Don't you, do you remember that? Do you remember how hard this was and how hard this is going to be? One commentator notes, the scar tissue of the wounds Paul suffered in establishing his missionary policy was still too tender for him to look favorably on Mark's being with them. This is not a vacation. I'm not running a daycare, Paul says. We are not going to risk the mission for this guy who we already risked the mission on before, and he let us down. Now, on top of that, it's, it's never said, but I suspect that Paul was also a little bit suspicious of Barnabas' motives for bringing John Mark. Because in Colossians 4, Paul tells us that John Mark and Barnabas were actually cousins. Now, so he never says it, but I would imagine that's in the back of his head. So you can almost imagine this conversation, and Paul looks at Barnabas, and he says, listen, Barnabas, listen. 
I know he's family, and I'd love to bring family with me too. But, but there is so much at stake here. Remember, we're going into these cities, and we're teaching them about what it means to follow Jesus. Remember last time around, we taught them that you've got to count the cost, you've got to take up the cross and follow? We can't jeopardize the mission by bringing with us a guy who, he might just turn and run away at the first sign of trouble and undermine everything that we're teaching these people. I love John Mark too, okay? I love your cousin too. But I love these churches more. This assignment is more important than this young man. We can't bring him. So that's, that's Paul's side of the argument, right? But on the flip side, you've got Barnabas. And Barnabas is adamant to bring John Mark. And can I tell you, I don't think it was because John Mark was his cousin. I don't. And I'm saying that because having read through the book of Acts, we've learned a lot about Barnabas, haven't we? Barnabas is an encourager. I think this is an example of Barnabas being Barnabas. He's the kind of guy who doesn't write people off. He's the kind of guy who takes a chance on people. And I know that because Paul and Barnabas are on mission together because Barnabas took a chance. You remember that story in Acts chapter 9? That was when Paul, at the time we knew him as Saul, that was when Saul was terrorizing the church. He was literally a terrorist. He was chasing Christians, pulling them out of their homes, away from their families, imprisoning them, and then Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Paul gets saved. Paul comes to the church and he says, hey guys, hey, I'm in now. And, And remember how the church responded to that? Yeah, they didn't like that. They said, no, actually, Paul, you're not. You're not in now. Get out of here, you crazy. And They're all thinking he's trying to infiltrate, he's trying to get some intel so he could take us off to prison. But there was one guy in the church who responded favorably to this man. Remember that? We read about it in Acts 9, 26 to 27. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so we've heard Paul's side of the argument. I can imagine if we're there, Barnabas is probably saying something like, Paul, Paul, this isn't because he's my cousin. How could you say that? You know me, Paul. This is because he's my brother in Christ. He's a man that Jesus died for. And Paul, he made a mistake, yes, but he's repented, you know this. He's repented, Paul. And we need to give him a second chance. Because, remember, how could you of all people say we can't give him a second chance, Paul? This is your second chance, right? You know that God doesn't write people off the way the rest of us do, Paul. We gotta bring him. I I imagine the conversation is something like this, right? And this is a sharp disagreement. They're both very passionate about this. One commentator summarizes it. It's a classic example of the perpetual problem of whether to place the interests of the individual or of the work as a whole first. And there's no rule of thumb for dealing with it. Let me just ask you, you kind of heard a bit of both sides of this argument. Who is right? Actually, I want to do this. If you think Paul was right and this mission is most important, like you can't risk the mission, raise your hand. If you would say, like, if you were there, you're probably leaning that way. Okay, so if you, if, let, raise your hand if you're like, you know what, we got to risk the mission because this guy, there's a restoration happening in his life, and we need to get him back on the field. Raise your hand if you would, if you're just like, we got to bring him. A bunch of kind people. That's why you tolerate my preaching. You are so nice. But even in this room, right, we love each other. We're walking together. There was some disagreement. 
right? Who's, who was right? I, I, I don't know. We all landed a little bit differently. Therefore, is it any wonder that sometimes good Christians disagree? Because people are, are diverse, right? We come from different backgrounds. We've got different personalities. And problems are complex. And so it's, it's not fun to go back and point at this, but let's point at it charitably. COVID exposed this in us, didn't it? We came at that differently. Now listen, all of us, all of us were looking at this same problem, and not one of us was free from our bias. Not one of us, right? So we're all looking at this through the lens of my personality, through the lens of the way that God has wired me, through the, through the values and things that are important in my life. We're all looking at this same problem, and is it any wonder that, that we landed in different places? And it was a very complicated issue, wasn't it? It was, you couldn't just summarize it in a nutshell. It was complicated. Leaders that we respected didn't land in the same place, kind of like what happened here with Paul and Barnabas. And that felt very disorienting, didn't it? It happens. It's hard to make sense of that sometimes when good Christians can't agree. But it happens. And that's why I think Luke recorded this story, so that we wouldn't be shocked as if we've stumbled onto something for the first time in the world. No, this stuff happens. People are diverse. Problems are complicated. Uh, you know, one takeaway for us would be, as we run into scenarios like that, we need to resist the urge to pretend that problems are not complicated, which some of us fell into that trap, didn't we? No, this is, this is simple. This, there's, there's only one way to look at this, and that, that proved to be unhelpful for us. So as we draw a lesson from this passage, let's just remember that people are diverse. Problems are complex. Good Christians are going to disagree from time to time. And that leads us into the second lesson that we learn in this story, which is that when good, when good Christians disagree, oh, wrong page. By the way, kids, if you're following along and these are out of order, because I changed it this morning, I'm feeling that too. It's fine. Two, when good Christians disagree, it is because it is not necessarily a mark of immaturity. It's not necessarily a mark of immaturity. Okay, so let's imagine that you didn't have this story at the end of chapter 15. Let's, so let's erase this. By the way, you can't ever erase from the Bible. Let's say you could. Take this out. Now you come out of Acts chapter 15, and what is the lesson? Probably feel something like, hey, when Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit and are focused on the gospel, unity is guaranteed. Right? If you come out of the Jerusalem Council without this little story, that feels like the takeaway. Like we can be united no matter what because we've got everything we need for perfect like-mindedness. Now, problem with that line of thinking is that it's, it's wrong. It's naive, and it's going to lead to a lot of disappointment in your life and discouragement and disorientation because good Christians do disagree. In fact, I think that's probably the primary reason why Luke left that story in here. Matthew Henry seems to believe that. Here's what he writes. That we are not to think it strange if there be differences among wise and good men. We were told before that such offenses would come, and here is an instance of it. So Matthew Henry says, that's why this is here, so that we won't be disoriented when this inevitably happens. It's going to happen. Disagreement happens. Paul and Barnabas loved each other, loved Jesus, and they disagreed. It happens. Now, when you read this story, like, what do you, should they have plugged their noses and just found some kind of compromise? Some of us might lean towards, yeah, I think they should have. But how would that work? So should Paul just compromise and say, okay, I'm willing to jeopardize this whole mission, even though I feel so strongly that this could ruin, that this could ruin let's say, 10 churches? But let's just do it anyways, because I love you, Barnabas. 
I think that probably would have been really bad for Paul's conscience. In fact, I think that, that might have actually even been sin for him to go along with that, believing what he did about how that would jeopardize the health of these churches. So Paul can't do it. What about Barnabas? Should he just be like, all right, Paul, you're right. Let's just write off this young man. Let's, let's leave him on the sidelines. Let's not give him any second chances, even though in his heart of hearts he's saying, no, I'm supposed to bring him. Should Barnabas have ignored what was happening in his heart? I think that might have been sin too. Both of these brothers have got consciences that are leading them in, in slightly different directions, and they had to honor that. Colossians 2, Romans 14 talk about our consciences. So I don't think that they were, I don't think that they were supposed to compromise. I don't think that's the takeaway from this story. They didn't disagree because they were immature. They disagreed because they were human. And humans see through a glass dimly, right, we, as we live in this fallen world. We don't have all the answers. We're doing the best with what we have. So G. Campbell Morgan, when he reads this story, he's not surprised by it. He's not disappointed by it. He says, I am greatly comforted. Interesting response. I'm greatly comforted whenever I read this. I'm thankful for the revelation of the humanity of these men. Sounds like an older pastor, right? He reads that and he's like, oh, it's just so nice to remember that even Paul and Barnabas, they're just men. Like, we're just people. This is, this is life as people in this fallen world. When we're in heaven, we're going to agree on everything. Because anytime we got a question, we'll be like, Jesus, and he'll be like, he's right. <laughs> right? But we're not in heaven yet. We're not in heaven. We're here on earth, and we see through a glass dimly. So if Paul and Barnabas disagreed, then Christian leaders who you respect are going to disagree from time to time as well. And that's okay. Not a mark of immaturity. Not necessarily. Sometimes we disagree over immature things. That's true. Right? If we're disagreeing and like breaking up over whether we get the photocopier or not, that's, that's immature. But, but a lot of times we disagree over things that are just really important. We're not able to be like-minded. Can I tell you, so application-wise, for young believers, new believers, this is, this is the, the denomination question, isn't it? I've, I've heard that question even this week from people. Like, well, wait a second. If we're united in Christ and we've got the Holy Spirit and, and we've got our eyes on the gospel, then why is it that you've got like all these different denominations in the city? You got the Presbyterians and the Anglicans, you got the Pentecostals and the Baptists, what like the Methodists, what is the I don't understand how there could be division in this city. And I would say, listen, this it's not it's not division. There's just there's some disagreement. Kind of like what we see here. I wrestled with this as a young person. If my some of you are like you're still a young person. Thank you. Thank you. I'm blushing. No, when I, was, when I was younger, I really I wrestled with this in a big way. Um, this might be helpful for some of you who are wrestling with it in a big way. I was there. As a teenager uh, in our city, my teenage friends and I decided we were going to run a worship night for the whole area. We called it One Tribe. Um, some of you might have even gone to One Tribe sometimes. But, so we were running this thing, and uh, we went around. We made up posters. We brought them to every church in town. And we're, we're bringing them to every church in Stainer, Collingwood, Wasega Beach. We're just... We're, plastering the place with these posters, and assuming, as teenagers do, that everybody's going to jump on board, because here we are, a bunch of teenagers who love Jesus, who've never studied theology or thought about it at all, and we are ready to lead all the Christians in the area, and to teach them, and, to, and we're going to have communion. It's going to be great, um, and so we've, we felt that way, and believe it or not, some of the pastors told us, hey, lovingly, kindly, they said, hey, we're not going to be able to jump on board. We were we didn't know what to make of that. Really didn't. And I'll tell you, as a young person, my first instinct was, these guys are so immature. Like, man, 
I could teach these people a thing or two about unity, just come to this thing and sing my favorite songs. You're going to love it. And they, they didn't. I assumed it was immaturity. Now, now someday the Lord's going to send a young teenager to me with a poster for his thing, and I'm going to have to be on the other side. Um, I know how he'll receive that. But I can see now, it wasn't a mark of immaturity. These brothers and sisters, they knew each other. They knew the convictions, the values of each of these various congregations. They knew the things that they could do together. They knew the things that was better to do separately. And that's not a mark of immaturity. That's a mark of maturity. They loved each other. They're still partners in the gospel, still marching towards the same end. But there's some things that they just know we're not going to be able to do together. And I, I didn't have a category for that. And I, I needed one. Thankfully, by God's grace, I have one now. But that's the next lesson that we learn in this story. It's not necessarily a mark of immaturity. Third, as we look at this story, we're reminded that when good Christians disagree, it may lead to a parting of ways, but it should never lead to sin. That's a really critical takeaway. So Paul and Barnabas felt very strongly about their respective positions here. Very strongly. So strongly, in fact, that they needed to part ways. Verse 39 to 40 says, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. It feels like a loss, doesn't it? They separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So godly men disagreeing, parting ways, and that's unfortunate. It is. It feels unfortunate because it is. Just a reminder that we're not in heaven yet, Right? unfortunate but it's not inherently sinful and that's an important thing for us to add a category for us to add to our minds paul didn't sin neither did barnabas sin there's nothing in the text that records any any record of sin in fact when we read paul's letters we see that there was no bitterness that was held on to there was no slandering no gossip he spoke highly of in fact spoke very highly of john mark he, he said glowing things about John Mark. When Paul was in prison and was getting ready to die, he wrote to Timothy and he said, please send John Mark. He's been a great help to me. Right? So, so this, even though they parted ways, there was no division in their unity as brothers in Christ. That's important for us to see. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. Now, I mean, similarly, so just to use like a, an, an obvious example, as Christians in this city, there are some things we disagree about. Let's take the issue of baptism. You know, so good Christians with us in this city would disagree. They would say we should baptize infants. It's, it's a mark of the covenant. They're coming into the family of faith. Other good Christians in this city, like, like us as Baptists, say, no, we baptize believers upon a profession of faith. So we disagree on that, and it's a pretty significant disagreement. Like, this is, this is really important. Now, does that mean we're not brothers and sisters in Christ? Of course not. Of course we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course we love them. Can we worship next to them? Absolutely. Will we be with them in glory? You bet. Should we plant a church together? It's going to be hard when people start having babies, right? We're going, which in our church is about every week. We're, we're, going to be, that we're going to be having some tricky conversations about that, right? So, that, so there's a bit of a parting of ways, but there's not sin, right? There's a deep, profound love for one another. That's what we see in this story. Um, yeah, so second, I referenced this, I'll read it to you. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul's in prison, end of his life. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. So these guys love each other, even as they part ways. And in a world where disagreements are bound to happen, let's do our very best, as far as we are able, to get this right. 
One area where we can apply this, so again, we've, we've touched on like the whole COVID experience. We've touched on denominations in our area. We could apply that principle to either of those, but let's, let's turn our attention to a different one. Uh, switching churches. This is something that touches on all of us, um, or most of us anyways. So let's think about what this, what this principle means as we switch churches. So I'll confess, I'll put my cards on the table. I'm a bit of an idealist, meaning I love the idea of, of just being in one local church and being there right to the bitter end, weathering the ups, the downs, the disagreements, what have you, and then you know, one day having your funeral with those brothers and sisters. I love that ideal. Um, unless the Lord does something dramatic, my plan is to buy a grave plot here in the city and stay here right to the bitter end unless you, you send me away. I just love that. My dad's been at the same church forever. I think there's something beautiful about, about life together over the long haul, right? But as we're, we live in a fallen world, and so that idealist part of me has been woken up to reality over the years because sometimes, even in these small churches that we love and have fellowship with, sometimes we do bump into disagreements that are significant, like the disagreement that Paul and Barnabas bumped into. Sometimes that does happen. And sometimes, it turns out, the godliest thing that you can do is to lovingly agree to disagree and to go in separate directions. I don't think I had a category for that in my teenage years, but the Lord's developing one. And, and this would be a passage where you could find a category for that. So maybe you're here and you find yourself in that position. Maybe you're thinking about leaving here, and that's, I love you, if that's you. I don't know of anyone that, but I love you. Or maybe you're here and you've come from somewhere else, and you're, you're wrestling through this right now. I want you to hear this. It's not wrong for Christians to part ways. It isn't. And maybe you feel ugh, like you've done something wrong. It's not wrong to part ways. But, hear this, it can become wrong if you don't guard your heart. Don't allow yourself to sin. Don't allow yourself to, to slip into gossip or to slander the place that you've come from. Don't harbor unforgiveness. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Be exemplary in your conduct. Be a, be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. In fact, if I could encourage you, strive to have, at the end of your life, strive that you could, like the Apostle Paul, say, send that pastor from, from the church that I left. He's, he's been such a blessing to me. Or send, send that couple from, from the church that we're no longer a part of. I want to talk to them here on my deathbed. Strive for that kind of fellowship in the gospel, even as we part ways. I say that is a worthy ambition in a fallen world where these disagreements are going to happen from time to time. But most importantly, we come to our fourth principle, and I'd say this is the heart of the heart of why this is here. We learn that when good Christians disagree, God's mission still moves forward. So, you know, we've talked about why would Luke include this and this reason, that reason, and all of those I think are legitimate, but I would turn to this fourth reason. I'd, I think this is the heart of why he included this. If you were to ask me to summarize in one sentence why this story is in the Bible, I would say that it is here to remind us that God uses everything to move his mission forward, even the disagreements of his people. God's mission keeps moving, even as his people disagree. G. Campbell Morgan, he put this in a one-line summary, and he landed in the same place just so much more beautifully and powerfully, as he so often does. He said, the sweep of the river is troubled, but it moves forward in the counsel of God which just makes you want to quit preaching, you know? <laughs> That's better. But we're saying the same thing. The sweep of the river is troubled, but it moves forward 
in the council of God. So just, you think about this story. You've got Paul, you've got Barnabas, and they're revisiting the churches. The first missionary journey, if you imagine you got the map in your mind, they leave Antioch and they go kind of in a circle like this, and then they make their way back through and they appoint elders in the churches, and they come back to Antioch for a celebration. Going on to Jerusalem, important meeting, back to Antioch, celebration again. And then Paul and Barnabas say, let's go and revisit these churches. The plan is, we're going to go back. Now, they have this disagreement. And as a result, it says that Barnabas takes John Mark, and he goes the way they were going to go, back this way. On the, on the, I'm blocking. I'm doing everything behind. <laughs> this is great, isn't it? So, so Barnabas says, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do the, the journey. And Paul says, all right, well, I'm going to take Silas, and I'm going to go this way. So they're both, they're on the same mission, right? Same mission, they're just taking a different direction. They've parted ways, but they're on the same mission. And now, guess what? Now you've got two teams where before there was one. You're reaching twice as many churches, encouraging twice as many brothers and sisters, doing twice as much missionary work. And all of that is happening in the providence of God because of this seemingly unfortunate disagreement. Now John Mark is being discipled. And praise God for that, because John Mark turned out to be a really fantastic guy. He did fall short in the first journey, but here in this redemption journey, things are great. God's done a work in this young man, such that Paul wants to see him at the end of his life, such that John Mark, maybe you didn't know this, he's the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? We are thankful for this brother. We're thankful that he was equipped and invested in. I'm glad that Barnabas put his flag in the ground and said, no, I'm not, I'm not backing down. On the flip side, Paul gets to invest in a young man named Silas. And then right at the beginning of his journey, he's got room on his team to incorporate another young man named Timothy. Timothy goes on to become Paul's right-hand man. Um, He takes over the church at Ephesus and gives leadership and direction. Praise God, you got twice as much leadership development now happening because of this disagreement. Because that's what God does. He redeems our disagreements. And then he uses these seemingly unfortunate things to further his mission in the world. Praise God for that. He, re- he, he redeems the messes that we make. And as we close, I just want to say a note, because we've been talking about healthy disagreement, but because we live in a fallen world, I suspect that for most of you in this room who've been a part of disagreement, I bet that most of that disagreement wasn't all that healthy, was it? I bet there was sin. I bet there was stuff that was said maybe by the other side, or stuff that was said by you, that there was unforgiveness harbored, that there was rupture, not just in parting of ways, but in parting of of brotherhood and sisterhood. So this passage is a great comfort for us. I want you just to receive this comfort today. Maybe you left your old church poorly, said some things you shouldn't have said, things that you're a bit embarrassed about as you reflect back on it. It's just this thing lingering in the back of your mind. Maybe you lived through a church split, Or maybe you even led the church split. I suspect that there are some of us in this room who would confess that by God's grace, we feel like we've landed where we're supposed to be. And yet as we look in the rearview mirror, we're not super proud of the road that led us here. If that's you, please be comforted in this story. In the same way that God used the persecution of Acts chapter 8 to launch his church on mission, He also used the disagreement of Acts chapter 15 to further his church in their mission. Now that doesn't give us a license to be divisive any more than it gives us a license to persecute the church. 
but it does give us a powerful reminder that God is in the business of redeeming our broken stories. Joseph explained, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I mean, I think about the number of churches that are in this city. Praise God, there are so many churches represented in this city. The unfortunate reality is that many of those congregations exist because of unhealthy disagreement. I don't rejoice over the unhealthy disagreement, but I'm glad that there are many churches in this city. God is working, even as we we're making messes. And as we come to a close here, I would just, maybe that's you, and maybe you've never actually dealt with the sin behind you. So if that's you, and you say, I think that by God's grace, I'm where I'm supposed to be, but you find yourself looking in the rearview mirror and realizing, there's mess behind me. There's, there's sin behind me. There's unforgiveness behind me. There's apologies I need to make behind me. If that's you, as you receive the comfort that God is working and God is using this, I would also just challenge you today and say receive the conviction as well. Paul was able to write at the end, send John Mark to me. What a blessing he is. If you're not able to do that as you look back, then as, as much as it's possible on your end, be a peacemaker. Make it right. That, that we've, we've parted ways. <laughs> we've parted ways, and yet we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, that the church of Aurelia, oh, that, that the church of Jesus Christ would, would resemble this this that we see in Acts 15, right to the end. God is building his church. There's nothing that will thwart his plan. Not the devil, not the opposition of the world, not even the disagreements and divisions and immaturity of his people. Every time we encounter an obstacle that looks like it will halt his mission, he turns it around and uses it for good. Because that's who he is. And that's what he does. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here together, to worship you, Lord, to grow in our knowledge of you, and our love for you, and our love for each other. And now we just want to submit this time to you. Uh, Lord, you have, uh, you've spoken to us through your word. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would apply it right to our hearts, right where we need it. Lord, you know where comfort is needed. You know where challenge and conviction is needed. Lord, you know those who are far from you. And, and really just needed the first paragraph of the sermon. They need to be in right relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you know, you know those of us who are just have been immature in our thinking, perhaps, and have been judgmental of, of the disagreements that we see in the world. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just take your truth and, and press it into our hearts, that we would be changed from one degree of glory to the next, that each of us would look more like Jesus by the time we step out of this room today. And Father, I thank you that the mission doesn't doesn't end it hasn't ended lord goes forth as we step out into the world lord even in our peacemaking in our in our forgiveness and our restoration lord we further this mission that you've entrusted to us lord i thank you that we have the privilege of learning from mistakes and modeling for our children for the ones who look to us modeling what it looks like to resemble jesus even as we disagree um, Lord, it's just a, it's a great opportunity. And Lord, we confess we fall short. We have fallen short and we will fall short. But we thank you for the grace that's ours. And we pray for the help that you've promised. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Worship team, would you lead us?